Good morning, my name is Tony and I'm one of the pastors here at Mount Tabor. We are really glad that you're here today and, and we want to extend a special welcome to everybody who's watching us on Facebook Live. Uh, we want to thank you for that. We know that you're probably going to watch several times before you'd ever consider joining us in person. We're okay with that. If you've got any questions, why don't you reach out to us in a Facebook message and we will get back to you. Uh, I want to start with a question today. Have you ever gotten dressed for the wrong events? You ever gotten dressed for the wrong event? Recently, Leah and I went to a wedding, and uh, we'd spent the whole week out of town. We'd been at my mom's house doing some work with her, and then that weekend, we had a wedding in Fort Wayne, so we were staying with Leah's parents, and so I had my suitcase, and I packed clothes for the wedding. I didn't have anything else with me, and so Leah's already dressed. She's waiting downstairs, and I get dressed, walk downstairs, and this is what I hear, and you've Maybe you've heard this before, or maybe you've said this before, but, but I walk into the room, my wife looks up, and she says, you're going to wear that? Yes, I am. Yes, I am, darling. I'll tell you why I'm going to wear that, because I only packed this, so it's either this or sweatpants, baby, okay? So you're going to have to be okay with this. And then here's what she says to me. This is the follow-up question that I did not expect. She said, the country club has a dress code. I'm not sure if you're going to be able to wear jeans. Okay, time out. Time out. Darling, these are the first, <laughs> this is the first time I've heard the words country club. This is the first time I've heard the word dress code. Okay? And, and, and so we're going to have to be okay with your husband wearing jeans and flannel to this wedding. Turns out the DJ was dressed nicer than I was. You ever gotten dressed for the wrong event? Or, or maybe you've heard this line before, dress for the job you want, not the job you have. Love what the internet's done to this phrase. I saw on Facebook recently that somebody said, my boss told me dress for the job you want, not the job you have. Now I'm sitting in a disciplinary meeting dressed like Batman. Love what the internet has done to that phrase. Or, or maybe this guy, he's obviously an accountant, but in his heart he is a Formula One race car driver. You ever gotten dressed for the wrong event? I bring it up because we can do that at church as well. Remember last week, one of the things we talked about were the two different kinds of life that are described in the Bible. The first is, the first is bios. That's where we get our word for biology, for biological. It describes living things, things that are biologically alive. Frogs, plants, viruses, dog trees, whales, people. You get it. That's the first word, bios. And then there's the second word, zoe. It describes our spiritual lives. It describes our inner beings, our, our souls. And what I need for you to know today is that God is more concerned with the way your soul is clothed than the way your body is. And some of us are here today, and we've gotten dressed for the wrong event. Some of us are here today, and we were more concerned with how we clothed our bodies than how our souls have been clothed. So how do we begin to clothe our souls? If you'd turn with me to Colossians chapter 3, we'll begin to answer that question. Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse 5, here's what Paul says. Put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater worshiping the things of this world. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. You used to do these things when your life was still part of this world, but now it's time to get rid of anger. 
rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other. For you've stripped off your old sinful nature and all of its wicked deeds. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your Creator and become like Him. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters and He lives in all of us. And since God shows you to be the holy people He loves, you must clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all else, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony, and let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. Let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom He gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through Him to God the Father. This idea of Clothing comes up several times in this passage. Put on your new nature. Strip away your old sinful nature. Clothe yourselves with love. It comes up several times in the passage, and this whole passage is framed within this idea of clothing. And you know, clothing's a bigger idea in the Bible than you might expect. Clothing is a bigger idea in the Bible than you might expect. And we think of clothing, and, and we think of it in a pretty straightforward way. We said, well, this person dresses nice. This person dresses weird. I know this person is wealthy because of the way that they dress. I know this person puts a high priority on comfort. I know this person's colorblind because of the way that they dress. And, and that's just, that's how we look at clothing. But, but here's the deal. Our understanding of being clothed, it goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve, they ate this fruit from this tree of the knowledge of good and evil that God said not to. And then what happened? They looked down. They realized that they were naked. They realized that they had no clothing. And immediately they begin to grab leaves and they begin to try to cover themselves. Here's the point. The fact that we wear clothes is a direct result of sin entering the world. Adam and Eve realized that they were naked and immediately there was shame. And they had a spiritual shame in the presence of God. We know that because they tried to hide from Him. They also had a social shame. They looked at themselves. They looked at each other and they decided that they needed to cover themselves. Now, nothing else had changed except for their perception of each other. And they realized that there was a problem and they began to try to fix it. They said, okay, no big deal. We'll just cover our nakedness. But it wasn't a good substitute. The leaves didn't solve the problem. They had still sinned and no leaf was going to change that. No article of clothing was going to change that. And I bring this up because a lot of us do the same thing. Sometimes we think as long as we walk around and it looks like we've got it all together, as long as we've got our church clothes on, everything will be fine. But in the moments when we take off our carefully manicured facade or the moments when we slip and the things we've been hiding come to light, we see that there's a whole lot of character that we still have to deal with. And underneath 
our church clothes, there's anger and malicious behavior and evil intents and sexual desires and all of it still has to be dealt with. And in those moments, we realize that it doesn't matter how nice the clothes are that we've been covering it up with because the sin is still real. We realize that no clothing, no service, no religious title, no level of esteem within the community can atone for the reality of our sinfulness. Clothing was man's first attempt at self-justification. We've just gotten a little more sophisticated. We say, I know that was wrong, but I'll cover it up with my church clothes. I know that was wrong, but I'll cover it up with my volunteerism. I know that it was wrong, but I am well thought of in the community and nobody will ever know. And that's the heart of our problem. We're more concerned with what people think of us than what a holy God thinks of us. Ultimately, what's happening is a lot of us are walking around and we're covering up our sin with church clothes. And it's no more effective than the leaves were in the Garden of Eden. So what do we do? How do we begin to address the sin in our lives? And just to be clear, I'm following the thought process of the book of Colossians here, and this is a conversation for people who are already Christians, people who have already confessed their need for Jesus as Savior and been baptized. And I need you to know this. I need you to know because this is important for you. A Christian is subject to these temptations the same as anybody else. And, and something I, I think might resonate with you today, something that I think you might find freeing today, is that the residual effects of our sinful lives is incredibly frustrating. You know what I mean when I say that? So you, you have become a Christian and, and you thought that, that, that everything was just going to be perfect you weren't going to struggle with sin anymore and then you became a Christian and you realized that not everything was easy and you still struggle with sin and temptation. And I hope that you haven't been coming to church here for years and years thinking that you've got to hide it because everybody else has it all together and you're the only one who still struggles. The residual effect of our sinfulness is incredibly frustrating. Incredibly frustrating. So how do we deal with that? First of all, we talked last week. We said we realize we can't change it on our own. We need a Savior to do that for us. And His name is Jesus. So if you're a Christian, you've realized that at some point. But from time to time in our faith, we lose sight of that. We start with this. We need Jesus. But maybe you're here and you've never thought about that before. You've been trying to handle all of this sin on your own. And you've been doing okay, but it's not perfect. And you're beginning to realize that it just doesn't work the ways that you try to cover up for it on your own. It's like putting on leaves. And you need to start by admitting that you need help that you can't give yourself. It's not a matter of being a better fighter than your sin matter of asking God for help and forgiveness. And you know, in a very real sense, the fact that you're here today is in some way an admission that you're dealing with that. Now, I need you to understand before we shift gears, because we're going we're gonna to shift gears here in just a second. I need you to understand this. This, this idea of our clothing 
the issue isn't a lack of respect for God that's manifested in not dressing nice enough. I need you to understand that. Don't, so don't think that just because you didn't dress to someone's standard that they have for clothing in their own mind, don't take that as a lack of respect for God. Now, now don't misunderstand me in the other direction. Uh, you should wear clothes. Let, let's be clear on that. I don't want any misunderstanding there. You, you should wear clothes. So all of you are here today, and I, I commend you for that. If you're watching on the live stream and you're thinking about coming here, just know we do want you to wear clothes. If you don't, then our ushers are going to ask you to leave and try again next week. But understand that the way you clothe your body is secondary to the way that God has clothed your soul. You should wear clothes, but understand that that's a secondary consideration to the way that God has clothed your soul. So what do we do? Verse 5, put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. You're called to put to death these sinful things that are lurking within you. Things like sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed. And I, I think that what most of us would say is, hey, that sounds, that sounds like something I really want to do. I really want that, but I don't know how. Let's start simple. Let's start simple. You really have to hate something in order to want to kill it. Now, I don't, I don't want you to think of this like hunting. I know a lot of you in here hunt. This, this is not hunting. This is not sport. This is war. And you either kill it or it will kill you. This is war. And I don't know about you, but the things that my sin has done to me, I hate it. I hate the shame and the guilt that it's put in me. I hate the pain that it's caused the people that I love, and I want my sin dead. But here's what you need to know about killing something. It's permanent. It's permanent. So last year in the middle of winter, my, uh, my dog, whom I love, by the way, my dog, who's also a bit of a diva, if it's above 75, it's too hot for him to go outside. If it's below 55, it's too cold for him to go outside. So last winter, is like 20 degrees before Christmas, very cold. And so instead of telling me that he needed to go outside, he just decided to pee on the carpet. And the way that I discovered that is by stepping in his pee in my socks. And if there is anything in the world that I hate, it is wet socks. If there's anything that I hate in the world more than that, it's the New England... Sorry. If there's anything in the world that I hate more than that, it is socks that are wet because of dog pee. And so I step in this dog pee in my socks and I just very quickly think, you know, I could... I could just tell Leah he ran away or something like that. And we could just be rid of him. But I didn't do that because I knew that Leah and the kids would eventually want the dog back and, and that I shouldn't do that. And so I give him the benefit of the doubt. I clean it up and, and I give him this look like, you know, I you shouldn't have done that. And uh, he gives me this look like, I wish you wouldn't have found that. And we move on. A little while later, I'm out working in the garage and we have some boxes of chocolate on our island that, uh, that are going to be Christmas gifts for a couple of different uh, families. And uh, so my, my dog is also part jaguar. He's part diva, part jaguar. And so I come back in the house and he's eaten 
four boxes of chocolate. I don't know if you know this or not, but chocolate is incredibly poisonous for dogs. And so he's eaten four boxes of chocolate, and he's thrown up four boxes of chocolate all over the living room, all over the dining room, and it just looks like a war zone in there. And I think to myself, I'm going to kill him. That's it. He's going to die. Leo will come home. I'll explain. There's terrible action. There's nothing I could do. And and he's he's just done. And I remembered that Lee and the kids are eventually going to want the dog and they'll be sad if he's gone. And one day after all the vomit is cleaned up, I will probably want the dog back as well. Death's kind of a permanent thing. Probably shouldn't kill the dog. So I sent him out to the garage and he spent the rest of the weekend there doing his thing. But anyway, the point I'm making is this. Death is a permanent thing. And so if you're going to kill something, you have to make sure that there is no reservation in your mind about the fact that this thing has to go. It needs to be dead. And some of you need to make that decision in your mind today because for too long you've tried to keep sin as your pet. And you don't want it to be in charge, but you do want it to be around for when you're lonely. You don't want sin to reign in your life, but you do want it around for a rainy day. And that's not the way sin works. It's this, you kill it or it will kill you. And maybe you need to have this conversation today where you say, this has to die. Start there. Maybe for you, the sin that needs to be put to death is something in the arena of impurity or lust. Maybe for you, it's a fear and anxiety that manifests itself in a desire to control whatever it is, whatever this sin is, where you need to start is by deciding this has to die. Start there. Here's the second part, and again, I think this might be freeing for some of you here today. Now that you've decided what needs to die, focus more on what should be there than what shouldn't. Focus more on what should be there than what shouldn't. Here's what I mean. Instead of saying, don't lust, 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 Because what have you inadvertently thought about the whole time? Lust. Instead of focusing on what shouldn't be there, focus on what should be there. And Paul gives us an incredibly helpful list. He says, clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults. Forgive anyone who offends you. Remember that the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. Paul says, clothe yourselves with that. Instead of spending all of your time actively trying not to lust, focus on being more merciful or humble or gentle or patient or forgiving or loving and then add one. So here's what I want to challenge you to do. Take one of those words from Colossians chapter 3 verses 12 through 14 and then spend the next day, we spend all day tomorrow just working on that one word. Not just you with the power of the Holy Spirit working through you and in you. Pray that you would work on that one word tomorrow. So, so take care on that. Take a moment, circle that word in your Bible, underline it, highlight it, write it on your notes page. And, and just so you know, my word that I'm going to focus on tomorrow is going to be gentleness doesn't mean weakness, by the way. It gets a bad rap with guys. Uh, gentleness doesn't mean weakness. It means strength under control. And uh, in your 
your small groups this coming week, you're going to have an opportunity to examine those words more closely. But I want you to take one, and I want you to, I want you to try it and own it tomorrow. That's my challenge to you, to focus more on what should be there than what shouldn't. And then I want you to watch as the mission of God takes over. That's what Jesus said, after all, by the way. He said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. And I'll close with this. Matthew chapter 17, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up on a mountain and he is transformed to some degree into his glorious nature. And, and here's what Matthew writes of that day. As the men watched, Jesus' appearance was transformed so that his face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as light. Suddenly Moses and Elijah appeared and began talking with Jesus. And Peter exclaimed, Lord, it's wonderful for us to be here. If you want, I'll make three shelters as memorials. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. But even as he spoke, a bright cloud overshadowed them and a voice from the cloud said, This is my dearly beloved Son who brings me great joy. Listen to him. And the disciples were terrified and they fell face down on the ground. And then Jesus came over and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. When they looked up, Moses and Elijah were gone and they saw only Jesus. This is what God wants for us. This is what God wants for us. Jesus shone radiant and bright white. The disciples couldn't see what Jesus was wearing because he shone so brightly. That's God's goal for us. That people wouldn't see what we wear because they see who we are. That people wouldn't see what we wear because they see how we live. That people wouldn't see what we wear because we are clothed in love and look like Jesus. And that sort of recognition, it doesn't come from the clothes we put on our body. It can only come from the way that God has clothed our souls. Let's pray.